0: 1 John, go to Revelation to hang a left. (laughs) If you're having a little trouble finding 1 John, uh, go to the end of the Bible, just keep turning back, you'll find it. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. I'd like to look this morning about, we're doing a study on sacrificial living, and what does it mean to live a life in which we sacrifice? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, Paul says. Uh, The gift of God, God has given, and we in turn are to live lives in which we give away. We're to live sacrificial lives, we're to take up daily our cross and follow follow him. And this morning I would like to speak in, in this line about truth, sacrificial truth. You see, in order to believe the truth, it means you have to choose not to believe a lot of other things. Right? Uh, you, you sacrifice some things in order to hold on to the truth. And the truth has taken a beating these days. Uh, the truth is much under attack, it's much maligned. Uh, it, it, it's really, in many ways, non existent in our culture. I, I watched a Democratic debate the other night. I don't know if you all watch that. And I'm not pounding Democrats at all. The Republicans did the same thing last year. Um, everybody else on the stage was lying. Everybody else on the stage was wrong. And there's a lot of stuff that's gonna get done on day one. (laughs) It cracks me up. On day one, I'm gonna do this. And on day one, I'm gonna do this. And I'm like, on day one, you're gonna do nothing. I know that's the truth. Uh, Recently, and this is an important bit of information, a five foot nine white male went on campus of the University of Washington and asked some students the following questions.
1: There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go and is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think. Uh, Bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether you're... Sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. If I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, why? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions, just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean... I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that sh- should be a okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six sister- if you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, Like that's wrong to believe in it. Cause, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a 6 foot 5 Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were 6 foot 5, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were 6 foot 5, or Chinese, or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he's not a six-foot-five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult?
0: This is not a sermon about gender identity, in case you wondered because I started, but I showed that illustration to say that truth has become so relative that we no longer can draw any kind of boundaries or lines without feeling uncomfortable. Uh, not only if if you went onto a college campus, many college campuses today, and I know we have a lot of college students here. I'm not attacking colleges. I'm a firm believer in it. I've spent a lot of money there uh, over the past years. Uh, I'm a firm believer in colleges. But if you went onto a college campus and asked the question, "What is truth?" Uh, Not only would you get a myriad of answers, probably based on who you are. In other words, to say your truth is what you define it to be. Truth is up to you as we see in these answers that everybody's afraid to challenge even obvious statements. Jesus stands before Pilate. And he says to him in this passage in John, he says, in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to what? Testify Testify to what? The The truth. The truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is saying there is a truth. Not only is he saying there is a truth, he is saying I am the truth. And he's standing right before you. There is a truth. Pilate, in that great response and question after this, says, what is truth? The age-old question that we all at times have to answer about what is truth. This morning I'm going to look at what is truth. And how do we stand on the side of truth? How do we stand with truth? And John is uh, uh, talking about this in 1 John chapter chapter 2. Now, I want to set this up just a little bit because John is going to use the term antichrist. He's going to, in this passage, talk about the spirit of antichrist. Now, whenever I use the term antichrist, most people who have been in church for more than like two days... Um, They think about the book of Revelation, they think about the person of the Antichrist uh, who is going to come and be a part of the end of time. So when John starts talking about Antichrist, I want you not to think about a person who is the Antichrist. By the way, in my lifetime, there have been a number of Antichrists. I mean, I'm kind of joking, but uh, it seems like everyone from uh, Ronald Reagan to Mikhail Gorbachev mainly because he had that birthmark on his head, you know, people thought he might be the Antichrist, Uh, Vladimir Putin, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, even Elvis Presley uh, was named um, the Antichrist, and and of course, every pope in my lifetime has been uh, labeled in some sense as the Antichrist. John is going to speak about this topic in 1 John 2, 18 through 27, and again, I I want you to put the idea of the Antichrist as a person and more of the spirit. And we're going to talk about the spirit of Antichrist as we talk about the rest of the sermon. Because really, and just to give you a quick idea, the Antichrist, the way that John is going to paint it, is anyone who claims that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who says that Jesus is not the anointed one of God, fully God, fully man, stands in the spirit of antichrist and he's going to have some strong things to say about this. So here's what I'm trying to aim us towards. I I believe that there are truths that we can stand upon. But unless we all come to the agreement of the truth that Jesus is the Christ the anointed one, the son of the living God, that no other truth we espouse really is going to matter in the long run. In other words, this is my unbiased opinion, or maybe it's very biased. Uh, This is my opinion. We can go out into the world and argue, argue gender identity all we want to, but ultimately, it doesn't matter a flip unless we come to the ultimate truth that Jesus is who he claims he is. Does that make sense? In other words, I'm not minimizing the discussion about gender identity. Please don't uh, misunderstand me. What I am saying is this. Ultimately, I don't think that will get you into heaven or hell. But what will is the ultimate truth that you stand upon about who is Jesus. And by the way, I think the rest of truths come out of the truth of who God is, right? If God is true, if we're going to really have discussions, philosophical discussions about truth and things about truth, then ultimately we have to come to an agreement about who is God, that there is a God, there is a creator, there is a redeemer, because from him everything else flows. The other night, Bernie Sanders in um, the Democratic debate was going after um, uh, the millionaire from New York, um, Bloomberg. Thank you. I think it's got enough ads on. I should be able to remember Bloomberg. And he was saying, he was saying that uh, having $60 billion is immoral. And I found it very funny. I mean, I started laughing that he would say, this is immoral. And I thought Bloomberg did a horrible job because I would have come back and said, How much money is not immoral? Where is your line, Bernie? About, because Bernie's got two million. Uh, His estimated worth is about $2 million. And my my guess would be that Bernie's line is somewhere just above two million. (laughs) That'd be my guess. I, I don't know that for sure, but I found it an interesting discussion that now he he was claiming that a financial position is immoral. Based on what? Based on who? Based on what truth makes that immoral? Now, I'm not saying it is moral or immoral. I'm just saying that we cannot have a discussion about morality and truth without agreement upon who God is and on who Jesus is because everything else will flow from there. Here's 1 John. I'm going to read this passage, and then I want to give you um, some truths about truth as I see it from this passage. John says this, Dear children, this is the last hour. I'm not going to comment on this a lot, but don't you find it interesting that John is saying 2,000 years ago, this is the last hour? This is the last... John was saying this is the last hour. We must be in the last minutes or seconds then as time is going along. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I I wish you would underline that line right there in your Bible. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Uh, I think this is a reference, by the way, to the Holy Spirit, the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. That's another statement you could underline. But no lie comes from the truth. Well, who is the liar? Here it is. Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about, about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. By the way, I, I'm going to come back to this, but this is, that was not a bad statement about teachers. It was not like, oh, you don't need anyone to teach you. You know it all. He's basically saying this ultimate truth about who Jesus is. Going on. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it's been taught you, remain in him. I, 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 I love John. I, uh, for the, the apostle who is the apostle of love, uh, beloved one, he's pretty sharp-edged, don't you think? I mean, I'm I'm not quite as bold to say, hey, they're liars. This group, they're liars. The group that left you, they're liars. But John is, because he has known the truth personally. He's known the truth mystically. He's known the truth relationally. He knows the truth, and he's willing to stand and stake his life on truth. Here's what, um, here's some points I'd like to kind of draw from this passage uh, this morning about sacrificially living out the truth. The first thing is believe the truth. Believe the truth, a mental understanding of belief. And belief is even more than mental, it's it's belief plus yourself. It's giving yourself to the, the truth. I'm going to just take apart this passage uh, in John. And by the way, I'm only taking it apart at one level, one tier. There's a lot you could take apart in this passage. But I want to look at it from the perspective of truth. He said, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Seems like there was a group that came into the church. And said that they believed. But they didn't really believe. And they have left. And now they appear to be trying to draw some people away from the church to follow them. And John is saying, look, they didn't really believe the truth. They didn't believe what was right. There was some flaw in their belief from the very beginning. Because if they had really believed it, they would never have left us. So there is, at some level, at some level, a body of information that is true. There is something that is true. In other words, I can say that all that it takes for truth is for me to walk in relationship with Jesus. But as we're going to see in a moment, who is this Jesus? There is a truth that is the truth. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? In other words, flawed belief will affect the way you live your life. John goes on and says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. He's saying, you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, the Holy One, and as a result, you you know the truth. You know it relationally you know it intellectually he goes on and says i do not write to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth who is the liar it is whoever denies that jesus is the christ such a person is the antichrist denying the father and the son here's what i'm trying to say maybe not so well whenever i talk about doctrine or theology there's some people who break out in hives you know, it's just like, oh my goodness, oh, he's going to start talking about theology. I, I don't think that, you know, I just get all worked up and say that just, it, it, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. It does matter what you believe about God, what you believe about Jesus. John is clearly saying there is truth that you have to believe. And you know the truth because you're claiming who Jesus is. So I... I There is a relational truth, but there's also a belief truth. There's this, uh, I I love comic strips. I'm going to show you several of them today. I just got on a roll looking for illustrations, and I thought it was fun. I had a good time looking them up, so you get to enjoy them with me. Uh, And There's this uh, comic strip from uh, Peanuts, uh, Charlie Brown, and it says this. I can't read it on any screen. He says, uh, Lucy is saying to Linus, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? Did y'all feel like this the last couple of weeks? <laughs> Linus says to her, it will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. To which Lucy says, wow, you've taken a great load off of my mind. And Linus says, sound theology has a way of doing that. There is something about theology that matters, not just belief in anything, but believing the right thing, believing the truth, standing on the truth. I would contend that maybe part of the reason that the rise in anxiety has occurred to incredible levels within our wealthy, well-provided-for, don't-have-to-worry-about-a-thing society is because we, we are... Afraid of stepping in so many minefields of untruths and making a claim and staking a flag on what is true. Believe the truth. Second is receive the truth. Not only is there an, a body of information that is to b- believe, but it, we need to receive it for ourselves. We need to walk in it. It is truth that is both relational. First John 2 says, I am writing these things to you I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. We need to remain in the truth. Remain in the truth. There is an element of truth that we need to both receive and walk in. I love my wife, in case you didn't know. But, that was not the right, that was not the right uh, word. <laughs> Hey, let's just edit that part out. <laughs> if I only love my wife in the abstract, I love the concept of a wife. I love the concept of who my wife is. If I don't love her in the real, then do I really love her? Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, I used to, before we were single, I used to have this picture of Kathy on my nightstand. And it was a picture she gave me. She was beautiful. She still is beautiful. And um, I had this picture of her. But then on that day, on June 18th, 1988, when her dad walked her down the aisle and we entered into a relationship as husband and wife, how stupid of me. Would it be to go back and say, oh, this picture is just so great when I'm living with the real? Do you understand? In other words, it's one thing to love my wife from afar. It's another to love her and to receive her. And by the way, when I receive her, I don't receive her for who I want her to be. I receive her for who she is. By the way, this is not a marriage seminar, but it could be. Um, I receive her for who she is. Because I've learned certain things in life, one of which is you cannot change another person. You can, listen to me, you cannot change another person. You barely can change yourself. You can't change them. And if all I see in my wife is a person that I want to become like I want to make her to be in the image that I want her to be, then I'll never receive her for who she is. By the way, this is really good preaching. You should probably really (laughs) hop on it. Because God, she is who she is. God, who is perfect. Jesus, who is holy. I don't make him in my image. He made me in his. And therefore, I, I not only... I not only believe the truth, but I have to receive the truth that God is holy and Christ is the anointed one who came and lived a perfect sinless life, who is, who is fully God and fully man, who, who died on a cross for my, my wrongdoing, not just because some bad men put him to death, but for my sins. I receive that truth, now I get to walk in the truth with him. I have to receive the truth. I receive the Holy Spirit as a result. I receive the person, the third member of the Trinity, into me to walk out this life and then be with me through all eternity. Listen, again we can get on a lot of arguments and tangents and I think that's one of the things the devil is trying to get us to do is to focus on, and I'm not saying they're not important issues. They are important issues. But at some point, we start dissecting things to the point that we no longer talk about what really matters. The truth and the person of Jesus Christ. The truth that we have a God who's created us. The truth that God doesn't hate us and God is not mad at us, that God loves us so much that He sent His own Son to die for us. And we need to walk in this. And then, once we do, are things going to be perfect between us, me and you? Mm, probably not. Because you've got some flaws. <laughs> and so do I. I've got my issues. And so do you. But if together we stand on the truth about who God is and who Jesus is, we can work through all the other minor things. Which leads me to the next point, which is protect the truth. Protect the truth. <clears throat> Please stay with me when I, and understand that what I'm trying to say is truth is under attack. Truth is under attack. It may manifest in these far-out fields. But the far-out fields, they're trying to burn their way down to destroy the inner one. They're trying to, to, to get to the point. Satan doesn't... I don't really think Satan cares about certain things. But if he can get us focused on those certain things, or he can get us to agree there is no truth and and you saw the progression in the video that's why i wanted to show it to you it sounds we we in a society are at a place we don't want to claim that there is a difference in gender you you just choose whatever gender you want to be and, but that it has ramifications because now we can't agree on how old i am now we can't agree on how tall i am we can't we can't agree and all of those decisions are working their way toward the ultimate truth about who Jesus is, in my belief. Because Satan doesn't want you to worship Jesus. He wants you to worship himself. The battle of the age is about who will you worship. And, and we need to protect the truth. That everything else that stands against that... John goes on and says... As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised eternal life. This whole remain, remain, remain means protect what you have. Don't ever get far from it. Stay closely attached. Protect the truth. This is where I want to dwell just for a minute. And this is where I want to come to because... I think for the most part, people in this room believe the truth. For the most part. I I think you're here because you believe the truth. I think you've received the truth. And so what I want to say to you today is, in an age where the truth is under attack, protect the truth of who Jesus is. One of the ways Satan will divert us is to get us to try and redefine terms in our own way. Uh, Again, here's another comic strip, which you may not be able to read. Uh, This is Calvin and Hobbes, another one that I I really love. And, you know, Calvin is a little boy. Hobbes is his... Really, make-believe friend. Let's go with that. And so he's he's in a plane, and and Hobbes says, there's a crackle that comes on the radio and says to Calvin, enemy aircraft at 2 o'clock. And Calvin says... Well, great. What do I do till then? <laughs> some of you are going to think about this. It's going to be really funny to you later in the day. <laughs> See, context matters. And what we believe about something matters. Not too long ago, I had some people come to my door, knock on the door, very nice dressed, um, and, and they wanted me to join their religious organization. To which I said, hey, good news, I'm, already one, I'm, I'm part of one. Yeah, but ours is the, you know, they And I said, well, great, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. And they go, oh, we believe in Jesus too. And I said, oh, great, you believe in Jesus. You believe that Jesus is a fully God and fully man who came to die for all of our sins. Well, not exactly. I said, really? I said, because that's what the Bible says. I'll go get my Bible, and we'll look at John together, and we'll read it together. And they didn't want, um, they didn't take me up on my offer. Uh, They decided they didn't want to stay and talk to me very much longer. You see, what happens is, with certain people, they know, I'm going to agree that there is a Jesus. But I'm going to redefine who Jesus is. I'm going to redefine him and make him like I want to make him. And therefore, when we come together and talk and we talk about Jesus, you'll assume that I'm talking about the same Jesus you're talking about, but I'm not. What happened in John's era, which is pretty similar to the guys who knocked on my door, by the way, is there is this idea called Gnosticism that basically said that which is holy and that which is physical can't, can't be in the same space because holy is perfect, physical is imperfect. So Jesus could not be fully God and fully man at the same time. So they had worked out this complicated system where moving from God, there are different emanations of God or different types of the way God is until there is a Jesus who was from God but not God you understand no you don't because I don't really either Um, but that's all right that's all right but these guys were teaching they're the ones probably who had left and they're trying to go back into the church and say "You, you guys you got this thing about Jesus all wrong he wasn't fully God and fully man and John says who is the liar it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. He's saying anyone who denies that Jesus was fully God, fully man, Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. John knew clearly what he was talking. I mean, he had a full meaning on this Jesus is the Christ. He's saying that if you are there, then you're a liar. Again, I'm not I, throwing that term liar around, John uses it a lot. If I say, if you say you love your brother, and I mean, I hate your brother and love God, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. Well, thank you, John, for clarifying. But he wants to make it clear there are certain truths that stand antithetical to who God is, anti, against, anti, the, anti-theos, against God, the antichrist. Again, we think of antichrist as a person, and he will, she, he will be a person. But right now, we stand in the truth of who Jesus is. We have to stand here. And some of us would say, you know, that is just such a big truth. I will never deny that. That is such a big lie. Let me tell you that we as a society are more susceptible, actually, to big lies than little ones. Let's talk about Hitler for a second. <laughs> that was a quick jump, wasn't it? Mein Kampf. Written in the 1920s. My struggle, according to Hitler. He, he, he in this book, one of the things he does is he says that people are, are susceptible to the big lie. And he defines the big lie in this context as this. The Jews have claimed... ...that we lost World War I because of a German officer named Erich Ludendorff. That's what he called the big lie. That this is not true. We, did, we as Germans did not lose World War I because of Erich Ludendorff. But because the Jews have claimed this, our nation has received this lie. And as a result, here's where we are. And he tries to combat this big lie... Well, what he does, in fact, is this. He perpetuates another lie. He makes this lie the truth for him, blaming the Jews for blaming Ludendorff. Now, he blames the Jews and says all of our problems as a society rest back on those who are from Jewish ancestry. The Jews are our problem. So now he creates a big lie through which he can rally people the nation of Germany, to himself. Do you understand? Hello? You understand? It wasn't true, but he he made it sound as if it were true. And later on, he defends himself and says, no one will ask the victor if he told the truth. No one's going to ask the person who wins. Hey, were you lying? The victor gets to set his definition of truth. Oh, people, I, I'm not going to go into this with our society. I mean, we are, we are on the border. If we're not careful, we have no idea what's true. We're raising a generation that says truth is whatever you make it. And let me tell you this. Whenever we say truth is whatever you make it, we will eventually make it in our image. We will ev- we'll eventually make it like we want and who is the we that wants it? Protect the truth. Protect the truth. One day, two professors were on a college campus. One was an atheist, one was a believer. They're walking through and they're, they're both academics and they're talking about stories, And the atheist says to the believer, when you read the old myths, the old stories, it almost makes you feel like there really is a truth. There really is a right and a wrong. If there really is a heaven and a hell, that there really is a heaven and a hell. He goes on and says, but myths are lies, though breathed through silver. First of all, only academics talk like that. Uh, When they're walking across campus, right? (laughs) Myths or lies breathe through silver. And the believer said to him, you know, it's just the opposite. The reason that the myths sound true is because they're based on the great story that is true. And he goes on to share with him the, the truth about who Jesus is. Well, over the next couple of years... Um, the atheist actually becomes a believer based on really interactions with his friends and his own investigation. And the atheist was C.S. Lewis. Um, the believer was, C.S., uh, was uh, Tolkien who went on to write The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, you know. Um, and, and C.S. Lewis eventually writes an essay called Myth Became Fact and talk, talking about the truth that is Christ and that all stories come back to in some way shadow the true story. Some of you are like, I don't know. Well, let me give you a couple examples. Beauty and the beast. The beast is transformed by his love. You're transformed by the love of God. The Lion King. When the the king... The right king is in place. Everything is put in its proper order. Beauty and the beast. Raised from death, really, by love. I mean, there's, there are truths in, in stories. Why do our hearts go to these stories? Because ultimately our heart is drawn to ultimate truth. And ultimate truth is that God is. God is love. God sent his son to die for us. His son is fully God and fully man. And every other truth comes, comes out of that. Protect the truth. Protect it at all costs. Because if you give up on this truth, your, your entire world view will crumble around you. Final point is this live the truth. Live the truth. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. To me, this is more than just the remaining and protecting. It is living it out. Live out the truth that God has placed within you. When you go from this place, it's one thing to believe; it's another thing to receive; it's another thing to protect. But it is an entirely different thing where you are to live out the truth. I, I, I would hope our world becomes less hostile to the gospel, but I don't see that happening. Now, I'm not really prophetic in this sense, but it seems like all indicators are that in our society, Western culture, it's becoming more hostile. We have a family friend who's studying in London this um, this semester, Sanford student, godly young woman, raised in the South, goes to Sanford, now goes to London and is placed in a in a she's doing volunteer work in a organization that's battling human trafficking only she's the only believer she's never really been in a place in which everybody is anti god who is hostile to the gospel she's trying to navigate her way through what the world is becoming like in this post-Christian culture. And by post-Christian, I don't mean, oh, listen, you can be whatever you want. Well, you can be whatever you want except a Christian. Now we're going to stand against that religious extremist you are that's becoming hostile to the gospel. What's going to happen as that, again, we're in Alabama, Which still has a certain tolerance, understanding, historical connection. What happens if you move to London, LA, New York? And what happens when LA, New York, London becomes Alabama? Will we stand still for the truth? Will we live out the truth and protect the truth? John says the only way you're going to do it is by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and constantly remaining in him. Blaise Pascal, one of the great brilliant philosophers, thinkers, scientists said this, he that takes truth for his guide and duty for his end may safely trust to God's providence to lead him aright. I know that's a lot of wording. But ultimately he's saying, receive the truth, protect the truth, walk in the truth. Let it be the the compass that points you. Walk it out and you can trust that God is going to be with you. He's going to lead you in the right path. One of the things about sacrificial living is this. To live... In truth means that you sacrifice receiving the things that aren't truth. At some point, two competing things cannot both be true. One is truth, one is not. And to say it's all truth is to live without any law, any rule, any guide. We need to stand on at least this ultimate truth about who God is and who his son is. Lord, I pray this morning that we will stand for the truth, that we will be a people who not only loves the truth intellectually, we believe it, but we've received it We walk in your truth. We walk in relationship with the one who created us and redeemed us and fills us and empowers us. Lord, may we be a people of truth. Lord, I pray that this truth will will guide our lives and direct our paths. Lord, we thank you today. I, I pray for anyone today who is here who does they might even say, you know, I believe there's a guy named Jesus who lived a long time ago and he, he was a great teacher and some bad people put him to death. He was a good man. Lord, I pray that they will, that Spirit of God, you will draw them to the truth that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is fully, fully God, fully man, who died on that cross so that our wrongdoing, our sins could be forgiven, so that we could walk in relationship with the one who created us. Lord, may we, we stand on the truth. May we receive the truth. So I pray that every person here will receive that truth. I pray, God, that we will receive the anointed one, the holy one, that we will walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that will lead and guide us into all truth. That, Lord, we can't walk in truth apart from the Spirit of God who is leading us and guiding us and directing us. So may we be filled afresh and anew with the power and presence of the Spirit of God today. Lord, we thank you. We rejoice in you. Thank you that you've given us your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.